0: All right, go to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to still be in verse 17. Last time we were together we spent the whole study in verse 17, and tonight we're only going to finish verse 17 again there, because as you know we've been dealing with the definition of the kingdom of God, and it has many facets and many aspects, and where we left off last time is the fact that the kingdom of God also is still to come, and the kingdom of God is going to be a literal kingdom on the earth for a thousand years, with Jesus ruling and reigning on the earth here, and us with Him, and so in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, again, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as you know, kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew is the kingdom of God. So here's what I want to lay out for us tonight. The kingdom of God, as we've looked at the whole many facets of its definition, as we looked at last time we were together, The last aspect or facet of its definition is this, the kingdom of God is clearly portrayed in the Old Testament as being a literal kingdom on the earth. And because God cannot lie, the king and the kingdom are still to come. Even though the kingdom was offered to Israel and was announced and it's being carried on through the church in the church age, the kingdom is still to come. And I'm just going to tell you ahead of time what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to spend the whole rest of our time showing you from the Old Testament and the New, the reality of the fact that the kingdom of God is a literal kingdom on the earth still to come. Now, I do this for a reason. Most of Christendom, and I, and I, I wish it wasn't the case, but a large part of Christian believers today do not believe in a literal kingdom still to come on the earth with Jesus ruling and reigning. There are many denominations, Christian denominations, large denominations, that are actually amillennial. And a lot of people today just think that the millennial kingdom is really not a kingdom on the earth. It's it's just a, a spiritual phrase for... Jesus ruling and reigning through the church, or the last thousand years of the church age are going to get better and better and better, and that's the kingdom. And there's lots of different views about the kingdom, but one thing they will not accept is the fact that the Bible teaches that the kingdom is going to be actually here and on the earth, literally. So if you believe what we're going to be looking at tonight, you're going to be in the minority in Christendom, so I'm just going to tell you that ahead of time. Now, I am not sharing all this with you to fuel you with ammunition to get in arguments, I was actually sitting in uh, Jason's Deli recently and was sitting with a friend, and we were talking about the kingdom of God. And uh, a man come, comes by, he's in his 20s or 30s, and he goes, I just heard you guys talking about the kingdom of God. That's one of my favorite subjects. And I said, yeah, we're looking forward to the millennial kingdom, when Jesus comes and ruin, reigns on the earth. He goes, oh, no, no, no. He goes, I'm millennial. I go, well, we don't believe that way. We actually believe that Jesus is actually coming back to the earth, literally, and he goes, oh, I'd love to argue with you about that. And I stopped him, and I said, the fact that you want to argue is enough reason for me to say I'm not going to argue with you about it. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must gently instruct. And unfortunately, one of the things that's happening today in Christendom, especially with social media and the ability for people to... There's a lot of preachers on Facebook. Have you all noticed that? Everybody's got an opinion, and... It's sad that Christians are attacking each other about some of these things. I'm not going to be giving you this so that you'll have all this ammunition against your amillennial friends. But I want you to know what the scripture says. And let me just tell you, as you're going to see tonight, the Old Testament has a lot of prophecy that clearly states that the kingdom is going to be on the earth. And as you're going to see, the New Testament does as well. And most People today that don't believe in the literal coming kingdom actually would tell you the New Testament doesn't say it does. Well, I'm going to show you tonight. It really, really does. But it only would make sense if you understand the Old Testament. As you know, God has been showing us you really can't fully understand the New Testament until you really understand the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is clearly portraying and prophesying that that the kingdom is a literal kingdom on the earth and the king is still to come to the earth. Go to Psalm 37 with me. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 34. David's writing, and he says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell where? In the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit what? The land. Don't miss that. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. The sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance." But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall... What? Inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I've been young, David says, and now I'm old, and yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He's ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, He will not forsake His saints, they are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you where? In the land. And you will look on when the wicked are cut off. This prophecy here, and by the way, I hope you all realize this. The Psalms is not just a song book. It is full of prophecy. You look at most of the quotes in the New Testament of prophecy in the Old Testament, they're in the book of Psalms. And the Psalms here clearly teach, here Psalm 37 teaches that the righteous are going to inherit what? At the land, and when the wicked are cut off and the wicked are no more, there's going to be a time when the righteous are going to dwell in the land. So don't miss this, folks. Even though many people say that there is no coming millennial kingdom, the Old Testament prophesies very clearly that there is going to be a kingdom on the earth. I think he saw it a few times. How many times did it say over and over in this passage that we just read that the kingdom's going to be in the land? How many times, folks, did it say in the land? Go back and take a look at it. It says it in verse 3. It says it in uh, verse 9. It says it in verse 11. It says it in verse 22. It says it in verse 29. It says it again in verse 34. Over and over and over, the prophecy said that when the wicked are cut off and they are no more, the righteous are going to dwell in the the land go to Isaiah 62 look at verses 1 through 12 Isaiah 62 verses 1 through 12 now look closely at what's being talked about here for Zion's sake I will not keep silent and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And you shall no more be termed forsaken, for your land shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be called married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. "...on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and at night, and they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord to remem- in remembrance, take no rest, and give him no rest, until he establishes what? Jerusalem, and makes it a praise on the earth." "'The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His mighty arm, "'I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, "'and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, "'but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, "'and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. "'Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, "'build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, "'lift up a signal over the peoples. "'Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, "'say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes.'" Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Now, yes, this is talking to the nation of Israel as the people, but it's really not specifically talking directly to the people. Who else is God talking to? I'm sorry? Jerusalem. Zion. He says to the city, I'm talking to you, city. I'm talking to you, land. You're not going to be considered forsaken anymore. There's going to be a time when all the nations are going to be praising you and glorifying you. By the way, has that happened yet? Not even close. This prophecy is still yet to come. Oh, by the way, remember at the end of Revelation chapter 22, when Jesus says, Behold, I come and my recompense is with me, my reward is with me. Makes a whole lot more sense when you understand he was still quoting the Old Testament. Most of everything written in the New Testament is a quote of the Old. All it is doing is help us understand the Old. But most Christians today don't even read the Old Testament. They just spend their time in the New Testament trying to interpret and figure out what these things might mean. But if you had read the Old Testament, you'd say, now I know what he was talking about. It was pointing back to the time when he comes to set up his kingdom on the earth. But don't just take my word for it. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Verses 1 through 11, and then we'll jump to verse 18. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. By the way, see where it says, I'll restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah? Underline that, mark it. You're going to see that phrase, and it's going to be very important for when we get to the New Testament. You need to remember that. There's a day coming, there's time coming, when God's going to restore the fortunes of God's people, Israel, and Judah. And he'll bring them back where? To the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. And these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard us cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, that's Israel, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. That's the Antichrist yoke. And I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob, this is Israel, shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I'm going to make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure." but I will by no means leave you unpunished. All right, hang on for a second. There's two or three things in here that we have to understand before we go down to verse 18. God says, if you remember in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus is asked about his return and the time of his coming and the signs of his coming, he talks about how there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Actually, he said there's going to be an antichrist and then there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and there's going to be pestilence and there's going to be death and all this stuff. And he says those... Are just the beginning of, listen, the birth pains, but the end is not yet. I I used to be one of these preachers that, and a lot of preachers today say, oh with all the earthquakes that are going on in the world and the famine that's going on and the wars and rumors of wars, we're in the beginning of the birth pains. And actually I used to believe that, but I don't anymore. Because I actually believe, the more I've studied the Old Testament, that actually when Jesus said these are the beginning of the birth pains, that he was referring to a specific set of birth pains, which the Old Testament here is telling us about. Go back to verse uh, 4, chapter 30. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob yet he shall be saved out of it. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24 about those days? He said they're going to be so severe that if he didn't cut them short, no human being would survive. When Jesus said you're going to see an antichrist. You're going to see wars, rumors of wars. Remember, that's the white horse in Revelation chapter 5, and, and you got the seals being opened, and you got the red horse, and then you got the black horse, and so on. Jesus is describing the beginning of the tribulation period in Matthew 24. Oh, are there earthquakes going on? Sure. Are there uh, uh, famines right now? Yes, on the globe, yeah. Are there wars and rumors of wars? Actually, have been forever and ever. But that's not the beginning of the birth pains. The birth pains are actually. The tribulation period beginning, this time of trouble that was referenced in the Old Testament. Put a bookmark here in Jeremiah. I'm going to give you something Tuesday night didn't get. Go to Micah. Micah chapter 5. We know the prophecy in chapter 5, verse 2, You, Bethlehem, a prophet, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old and from ancient days. Look what the next prophecy, though, says here. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of his name, and they, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Oh, When the Assyrian comes into our land, I think that's one of the prophecies that gives a little hint as to who the Antichrist might be. He's going to do all this stuff. Now look closely at what it says there in verse 3. God's going to give the nation of Israel up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth... Then the rest of the brothers of Israel shall return and Jesus is going to come and rule on the earth. When Jesus said these are just the beginning of the birth pains, he's referring to a specific set of birth pains that have been prophesied. And I could show you other places in the Old Testament that that time of Jacob's trouble at the end of, we know it now from Scripture as the the end of the church age in that last seven year period, we know as the tribulation period, it's going to begin to get really rough for Israel during that time. At the midway point, that's when the Antichrist steps into the temple, declares himself to be God, and chases them out into the wilderness. That will be important later on. Go to verse 18 of Jeremiah chapter 30. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Because your guilt is great. Because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion, as the land again, for whom no one cares. Thus says the Lord, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob. Again, mark it, highlight it. I'll restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob. It's going to be important when we get to the New Testament. And to have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Isn't that interesting? What do you know now about Israel and Jerusalem? Are the Jews even allowed to pray on that holy hill? Oh, but when this stuff happens, the city's going to be rebuilt. And they're going to be able to have the palace where it used to be. I could go on and, and keep going, um, but jump over to chapter 31. Look at verses 1 through 14. At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace where? When's that going to happen? At the end of the tribulation period. Remember at the midpoint they're running out to the wilderness. At the end of it they're going to look to him and all Israel is going to be saved that survives. When Israel sought for rest the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again I will build you and you shall be built O virgin Israel. Oh I love that. Don't miss that. If you were with us in our Ezekiel study you remember how many times God called Israel a whore? Do you remember that? It was actually uncomfortable how many times he used the word. But when Jesus comes back to the earth and the rest of the remnant of the Jews that have survived the tribulation period, remember when Antichrist goes after him, the scripture says two thirds are going to be killed. One third is going to survive and escape to the wilderness. When Jesus comes back and he erases their sin, as you're about to see in just a second, and he forgives them, he puts his spirit within them, he will see them as a virgin. What does that mean for you and me right now? If you're born again, if you've been washed clean through the blood of Christ, it doesn't matter what you've done, he sees you as pure and holy because of himself. I love that. Again you shall adorn yourself, the rest of verse four, with tambourines, and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise, let us go up to Zion. To who? To the Lord. He's going to be there, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together, a great company. They shall return where? My Bible says, Here to the land of Israel. With weeping they shall come and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. Again, the land. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord over the grain and the wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd and their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then they shall, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old men be merry. I'll turn their mourning into joy. I'll comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness declares the Lord. All right, let me ask you a quick question. You see the prophecy here in Jeremiah 31 that says he's going to gather them from all the parts of the globe and bring them back into the land. Is that being fulfilled right now since Israel's become a nation again? The answer is no. See, we've been hearing, if you watch on TV, you'll see lots of people that are actually using stuff like this to have you give to their ministry to help bring more Jews back to Israel. Look, I'm not against Jews moving to Israel. I think it's an awesome thing. But don't think for a second that that's the fulfillment of these prophecies, that he's going to regather them. Because if you know the scriptures, even though they're being regathered, that's great. I'm loving the fact that Israel became a nation in 1948. I'm glad that they're there. But the Bible says they're still going to be chased out of it one more time. The gathering of the prophecies, though, when you look, you'll notice the prophecies when he regathers them, they all come back in repentance with weeping and mourning and turning to the Lord and the prophecies. If you look at all the places that talk about how he's going to regather them and bring them from all the countries and all the nations where he scattered them, they're going to then worship him and turn to him and never worship anyone else from there on. No one else will ever bother them ever again. The Bible is real clear that that's not the case yet still. The fact that Israel's become a nation is a great thing. The fact that people are wanting to go live in Israel who are Jews, I think it's awesome because the prophecy says the Jews have to be in the land for all the end time things to happen. It has to be in the land for them to rebuild a temple. They have to be in the land for the Antichrist to go and chase them out of Israel into the wilderness. So those prophecies had to be fulfilled with Israel in the land. So I'm glad they're in the land. But it's not the fulfillment because these prophecies all tied together to the fact that when he does his final gathering, at the end of the tribulation period, they'll be weeping, mourning, seeking his forgiveness. Is Israel doing that right now? No, they're proud of their Zionness and they're proud of their nationhood. They don't worship the Lord. They don't believe in Jesus. Are they gathered and they have no fear of their neighbors anymore? The prophecy said that when they regather them, they'll have no fear of their neighbors anymore. That's still to come at the end of the tribulation period. Oh, and listen, and you're going to see this build tonight. At the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on the earth, all these prophecies that we're looking at are going to be fulfilled in the land, literally. Now, if you paid attention to some of the things prophesied in the Old Testament, you'll notice, I could, by the way, show you a lot more in the Old Testament, but I hope you get the idea. You you good? Do you want more Old Testament or are you ready to go to the new? think you're ready to go to the new, right? If you paid attention, though, to some of the things prophesied in the Old Testament, you'll notice that the New Testament shows that the kingdom of God will be on the earth and centered in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to say that to you again. The New Testament shows that, actually, let me give you one more Old Testament passage. Go to Jeremiah 31. You're already there. Look at verses 23 and following. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities when I restore their fortunes. Mark it down again. The Lord bless you, O habitation of righteousness, O holy hill. And Judah and all its cities shall dwell together, and the farmers and those who wander with their flocks, for I'll satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. He it says, This I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of men and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that I have I watched over them to pluck them up and break down and to overthrow and to destroy and to bring harm. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days." declares the Lord, I'll put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord for I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. Stop for a second. Does that apply to the church or is this talking about Israel? It's talking about Israel. Now it applies to us in this way. Paul says, when he reveals to us this mystery that hadn't been revealed, that all the promises for Israel are now ours in the church, the Gentiles get to be a part of it, we're grafted in, and, and all the promises for Israel are ours now. The future things that God's going to do for Israel, we've been given. Here he says, I'm going to erase their sin, I'm going to put my spirit within them, cause them to move my decree, follow my decrees. We've been given that now. But this is a prophecy about Israel and Judah. And on top of that, another evidence that you can see that this isn't the church As he says, in that day, you won't need teachers. You won't need anybody saying, hey, know the Lord, because everyone will know him. The end of the tribulation period, all Israel, Romans 11, we'll get to that later, will be saved and they'll all know the Lord. But we know very clearly in the church age, there's a need for teachers and preachers and all that. Because we're supposed to keep telling people, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. But we're going to be taken away. He'll finish what he started when he made the prophecy to Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9 and following. And, and that last seven year period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the birth pains, the time of a woman in labor will happen for Israel. But at the end of it, Jesus comes back to the earth. He'll regather them and bring them there and they will inherit the land that he had promised. That's very important. All right, so let's go to the New Testament now. Go to Acts chapter 1. See, the interesting thing is, is a lot of people that don't believe in a literal millennial kingdom on the earth. And trust me, like I said, many in Christianity, a predominant, greater number of people in the church don't believe in a literal millennial kingdom than those that do. But one of the things they say is, is the New Testament doesn't talk about the kingdom of God being on the earth. And I'm about to show you, oh, yes, it does a lot. But you'll see it now that I've showed you the Old Testament. Go to Acts chapter one, look at verses one through three and then verses six through eleven. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. By the way, who wrote the book of Acts? Anybody know? Luke. Does anybody know what other book he wrote? Luke. All right, so Luke wrote the book of Luke, but now he's written the book of Acts. He traveled around with Paul, and he was writing it all down. So Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus... I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, and he appeared to his disciples for 40 days, what did he spend the 40 days teaching them about? The kingdom of God which is still to come. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, if Jesus had been for 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God and teaching them that it's not a literal kingdom on the earth, it's really not going to be in Israel, it's more of a spiritual thing, and it's just through the believers. You understand what I'm saying? If he was teaching an amillennial view, they would have never asked that question. But after 40 days of him teaching about the kingdom of God, they excitedly said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Well, we know his answer. He says, it's not for you to know Uh, the times or the seasons. The Father is fixed by his own authority. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. And then when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he ascends and they're told he's coming back. When? It's not for us to figure out. But is he going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Yes, he is, because he taught about that for 40 days and they were looking for it. Go to Acts chapter 3. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is preaching now in verses 17 through 21. And all those places I told you to mark down are gonna come alive. And now, brothers, verse 17 of Acts 3 I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. "'Repent, therefore, and turn back, "'that your sins may be blotted out, "'that times of refreshing may come "'from the presence of the Lord, "'and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, "'Jesus, whom heaven must receive until,' what? "'The time for restoring all the things "'about which God spoke by the mouth "'of his holy prophets long ago.'" Remember all those places I told you? He's gonna restore the fortunes of Judah. He's gonna restore the fortunes of Israel. He's gonna restore the land. He's gonna restore it over and over and over. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, Peter said that Jesus is in heaven until the time that he comes back and restores all the things that he said he was going to do. It's going to happen on the earth, folks. It's going to happen on the earth. Go over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Look at verses 25 through 29. Paul says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from where? Okay, hang on for a second. The deliverer is coming from on the earth. We know he's coming back from heaven to the earth. But he's going to come to Zion. The liver is going to come from Zion. He's going to banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Where did we see this? You remember, it was in Jeremiah 31. After those days, the church age is going to come to an end. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. By the way, the rapture of the church isn't a time-specific event as much as it's a number-specific event. When the last Gentiles saved... (laughs) That's when the church age comes to an end. Now, again, we don't know who that person is. That's why the Bible says that we're to speed its coming and share the gospel. But when the last Gentiles come in, all Israel is going to be saved, those who survive. Remember Jesus in Matthew 24 said, and he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He wasn't talking to the church. He was talking to the Jews. He's talking about his return in the second coming, dealing with the nation of Israel. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And as regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's important, folks. Again, you won't fully understand this if you don't know the Old Testament. But Paul said the gifts of God and the calling of God are irrevocable. Oh, by the way, is salvation a gift? So why do we waste time arguing whether or not you can lose your salvation? The Bible actually says his gifts are irrevocable. I'll never, Jesus said, I'll lose none that the Father has given me. But not only that, his call. Go with me to Matthew chapter 23. Keep in mind that promise in, Matthew, in Romans 11 about his gifts and call being irrevocable, because that's going to be important in a couple of passages coming up. In Matthew 23, look at verses 37 through 39. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Matthew 23:37, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate." For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is talking to who? He's talking to who? Jerusalem. He's talking to the city. He said, you won't see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody thinks, well, oh, that's the triumphal entry. No, if you know your Bible, the triumphal entry has already happened. This is after the triumphal entry. But Jesus says there to Jerusalem, I'm going to come back here. Oh, the deliverer is going to come from Zion. Go to Acts chapter 7. This one is one of my absolute favorites. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Stephen is preaching, and by the way, this sermon gets him killed. But that's okay, it's still a good one. Acts chapter 7, look at verses 1 through 5. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father died... God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Don't miss that. In Stephen's Holy Spirit inspired sermon, he said, God appeared to Abraham, brought him to the land that you guys are now in. And he promised to give it to him as an inheritance, but he never received even a foot's length. Remember when Abraham's wife Sarah died, he had to purchase a piece of property in order to bury her. He was never given the land while he lived on the earth. Yet God promised to give it to him and his descendants after him, even though at that time when God made the promise he didn't even have a child. I don't, for the sake of time, have time to take you back to Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 17, Genesis 18, Genesis 28. I could go on and on and show you where God literally says to Abraham, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. Then he tells Isaac the exact same thing. We'll make you the same promise I made your dad. I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. says to Jacob the same thing. I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. Yet Acts 7 says very clearly, did he ever receive the land? says he never did, not even a foot's breadth. So when's he going to get the land? If God's going to keep his promise because his gifts and his call are irrevocable and because of the forefathers, the promises he made, when is Abraham, when is Isaac, when is Jacob going to receive the land? When he comes and restores all the things that he promised. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be on the earth. It's gonna be on the earth. Jesus himself said that you are gonna be, people are gonna come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they're all gonna sit at the table in the kingdom. I love this with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Folks, there's not a word that's there by accident. When you look at all of the Old Testament and all the things that have been prophesied, and then you read the New Testament, all of a sudden the New Testament comes alive because of what you already know has been said. You try to interpret what's to come by just the New Testament, you're going to miss a bunch. And you're going to build theology that's incorrect. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. He lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. That's what I always told him, that they were going to be given the land. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Now, this is what gets us messed up because we actually think, well, that's gotta be heaven. He wasn't worried about being on the earth. He didn't care if he didn't get the land while he was here, because he was looking forward to heaven. That's the kind of preaching we hear, wasn't it? But guess what? That's 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 wrong. Because if he was just looking forward to going to heaven, God never gave him that land as in his inheritance, like he said, and God broke his word, he broke his promise. God can't lie. You know what city he was looking forward to? It wasn't a heavenly city. It was on the earth. Oh, by the way, who's designed this city that's going to be in the millennial kingdom? God. Who's going to build it? God. Because at the end of the tribulation period, you remember our revelation study, don't you? Things are going to be a little bit messy, aren't they? All the water's going to be blood and the earth's going to be a mess. Oh, but you remember from our Ezekiel study? How we've already seen the blueprints that God has laid out for the millennial kingdom and the temple and the area of who's going to be where, and it's different from the first time. And when Jesus comes, he's going to rebuild the temple himself, and there's going to be a river that flows from it, a trickle that gets deeper and deeper and deeper, remember? And it starts turning the Dead Sea fresh, and Abraham was looking forward to the city that God was going to build on the earth when it was time. And he was okay if it didn't happen in this life, but he knew it was going to happen to him. The New Testament's full. Oh, I got more. Go to Luke chapter 1. There's something in the birth story of Jesus that we've totally missed when it comes to the millennial kingdom. I'd never seen it until I was doing this study. And Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to Mary, he said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, "'and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, "'and you shall call his name Jesus.'" He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him, what? The throne of who? Of his father, David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there'll be no end. Let me ask you a question. Where was David's kingdom? Where was David's throne? Was it in heaven or was it on the earth? It was on the earth. If he's going to sit on David's throne... He has to sit on a throne that's on the earth because David never had a throne in heaven. Oh, we in the church are going to have thrones in heaven. We see that during the tribulation period around the throne as 24 elders. But the Old Testament saints didn't get a throne in heaven. David's throne was on the earth and he's going to come and sit on David's throne on the earth and he's going to have a kingdom on the earth. That's kind of cool. Go to Matthew chapter 19. As you've heard me say, I think the Bible teaches that David's actually going to rule and reign with Jesus from Jerusalem as the prince. Matthew chapter 19, look at verses 23 through 28. Jesus said to his disciples, "...truly, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God." When the disciples heard this, by the way, did anybody notice that Matthew actually says kingdom of God this time? We're not going to deal with why because we don't have time. We'll come back to it when we get to Matthew Matthew 19. We'll deal with it then, but it's really cool. But Matthew actually breaks his way of doing it and actually says kingdom of God here. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said to They said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And before we go to the answer, I love Peter. Jesus just said it's almost impossible for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. And Peter goes, if you haven't noticed, we gave up everything. We're like destitute. We we got nothing. (laughs) That's good, right? And Jesus said, he says, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne. By the way, whose throne is that? Where is that throne? It's on the earth. By the way, that's going to make Matthew 25 make a whole lot more sense. Because Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him and he sits on his glorious throne, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's not happening in heaven. That's happening on the earth. And that's how he determines who gets to live in the millennial kingdom according to how they treated Israel. These brothers of mine, you visited them when they were in prison or brought them water when they were thirsty and clothed them when they were naked. These brothers of mine, when Jesus sits on his throne, it's on the earth and he determines who gets to enter the millennial kingdom of the humans that survived the tribulation period according to how they treated Israel. So he's going to come when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. If there is no literal kingdom on the earth, is that going to happen in heaven? It's unnecessary. But as you know, the tribes are all going to be, as we saw from Ezekiel, given property and land And these 12 apostles are going to be rulers over each of the tribes on the earth. The New Testament's full of prophecies that show the the literal kingdom on the earth, but you don't see them unless you know the Old Testament. Now, until God comes, though, in the time we have left, I want to kind of point a couple of things out to you real quick. Until Jesus comes, his kingdom is still now. It's still, even though it's to come, the kingdom is extended right now, through the church. Go to Revelation chapter 1. I don't want you to think that the kingdom isn't is, is is existing. You remember from our study last time we were together, his kingdom has always existed. He's always been king of kings and lord of lords. And he announced it to Israel, and it was pictured in Israel. It was offered to Israel. Now it's being extended through the church. Look at Revelation chapter 1, but it's still to come Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us what? What? He's made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The kingdom of God is being extended right now through the life of the church, as he rules and reigns, not only in our hearts, but through us on the earth. He's wanting to use us for that purpose, But there's a time coming that Revelation 5 tells us about, which I think is way awesome. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Look at verses 6 through 10. All right, this is when uh, the scrolls handed to the Lamb and between, verse 6 of Revelation 5, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, remember that's the church, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song at that time, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom, that's us, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Don't miss that. Has this thing happened yet? No. This is at the beginning of the tribulation period when Jesus is handed the scroll and the seven seals are going to be opened and things start to happen on the earth. At that time, the four living creatures and the 24 elders begin to worship. And they said, you've made them a kingdom, people from every tribe, people in language. And they shall reign where? On the earth. The New Testament says that the kingdom is on the earth very clearly. Go to Revelation chapter 20 real quick. I think we have time to finish up and finish where we ended up last night, which is a miracle of God. I thank the Lord for it. Revelation chapter 20, look at verses one through six. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven and holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is where we get the term millennial kingdom. We didn't know how long the kingdom was gonna be until we get to Revelation chapter 20. We've known that there's going to be a kingdom, and it's going to last forever and ever, ultimately, but there's going to be a period that we know of a thousand years on the earth. Satan's going to be bound for that thousand years, and he threw him into the pit, and he shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. By the way, has that happened yet? Is Satan not deceiving the nations? Of course, he's not been bound yet. No, it's not happened yet. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And also I saw the souls of those who had beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ, where? On the earth for a thousand years. I'll show you this on the earth in a second. You say, Jim, I don't see it on the earth there. Keep with me, you'll see it. But they came to life, and they reigned with Jesus. So don't miss this the church is going to come back with jesus and reign on the earth we've just seen that in revelation chapter 5 verses 6 through 11 the old testament saints are going to reign on the earth how do we know that because god told the apostles they're going to rule on the earth in the kingdom over the 12 tribes of Israel. We also know Daniel was told that in Daniel chapter 12. He's going to go sleep with his fathers until the time for restoring everything, and he's going to have his position at the appointed time. We now see the tribulation saints, who have been told to wait a little longer till the rest of the tribulation saints are killed, are also going to come to life, those who didn't take the mark of the beast, and they're going to reign on the earth during that time. Now the rest of the dead, this is the wicked dead, didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they'll be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Where are they going to reign with him? Well, Okay, but does it say that? It's just about to. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of what? The earth. The the ruling and reigning has to happen on the earth during that thousand years because when Satan's released at the end of it, he comes to attack all those people when the thousand years are over. And where's he attacking? On the earth. And the Gog and Magog and to gather them for battle, and their numbers like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur with the beast and the false prophet are. And they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then you see in chapter 20, verse 11 and following, all the wicked dead brought to life. And they're before the throne and they're judged, great white throne, and they're sent into hell, which is the second death. Folks, it's pretty clear. The ruling and reigning is going to be on the earth. Jesus' kingdom is going to be on the earth, centered in Jerusalem. We're going to rule and reign with him on the earth. It's going to be amazing. Oh, there's still going to be sickness, and there's still going to be death. There's still going to be sin. You know why? Because even though we have new bodies and won't have to deal with sin, and even the Old Testament saints will have new bodies and won't have to deal with sin, and even though the Tribulation saints will be brought back to life and won't have new bodies and won't have to deal with sin, remember those... Jews that survived and were given righteousness, they're still in the human bodies. And remember, those human bodies still have sin in them. The Gentiles that are survived the tribulation period and are gathered by Jesus on the earth, and he separates the good ones from the bad ones, and the good ones get to go into the kingdom. The bad ones don't. They still have human bodies, and they're going to make babies, and the Jews are going to make babies, and there's still going to be sin. But it's not going to be anything like it is now, because, and I'll get right to you, the prophecies actually say that if someone dies at 100 years old, It'll be like they're an infant. Go ahead. So you're talking about that, I don't believe that the heaven's going be on earth. No, I'm not going to say heaven's going to be on earth. No, no, that, be on earth. The, the kingdom of God, the millennial kingdom, is going to be on the earth. What about that? Well, I'm looking at the beginning of chapter 21. Yeah. I mean, uh, yep. A new heaven and a new earth. Now there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth at the end of that. Now, listen closely. This is where it gets really kind of interesting but cool. At the end of the thousand years, remember Satan comes up from the pit. He deceives those who were, all those people that had been born during that time. And they come to fight against Jesus in Jerusalem. But there's not going to be the Gog and Magog battle because that's a different battle. All Jesus does is just destroy them with the breath of his mouth. And from that point forward, there's no more unrighteous people on the earth. But the Bible says that everything we see is going to be totally destroyed with a fervent heat. And he's going to make a new heaven. That means a new sky system, if you will, and a new earth. And then remember the the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem we see in Revelation 22 comes down. I'm sorry, chapter 21 comes down. And you remember how big it was? Do you all remember? I don't know if you remember this. The space station is only a little over 300 miles from here. That city is 1500 miles high. It would go blowing past the space station. It's gonna be a totally different planet. Oh, interestingly enough, for those of you that struggle with, well, I don't know if heaven will be heaven if I remember my if I can realize my loved ones aren't there. Oh, go read your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17 says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered nor ever come to mind. Oh, during the millennial kingdom they will because there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and we'll know everybody and we'll know. And remember, there's going to be sacrificial system and there's going to be Jesus and we're going to see his hands on his side. We'll remember during the millennial kingdom, but during the new heaven and new earth when there's no more sin, no more any of that for eternity, you won't even remember that loved ones aren't there. I wish I could stress it more. Read your Bibles. Everything we need is here. It's all been given to us. And if you just feed on it, you're gonna be okay because it actually is all answered. And I know we live in a time in which people say, oh, there's no millennial kingdom. You're one of those wackos. No, hopefully you understand the Bible. Those people that wanna argue with me like that guy did, I told you at the beginning of our study, what I simply tell those people is, you know what? I could actually spend—I could have spent some time tonight using Scripture and convinced you that there's no millennial kingdom. I could have. I could actually talk and take you to passages and talk about how not all those who are of Israel are of Israel, but those who are of faith, who it talks about in Romans chapter four, and I could convince you that there was no millennial kingdom. The problem would be this: I would have been ignoring three quarters of the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? know what the book says from Genesis to Revelation, and you'll be able to under and build your correct theology. Yes, ma'am. Some do, yes. Right now, most of the Jews have been spiritually hardened, as you know. And even though they're back in the land, they're not really God worshipers or God fearers. They're more proud of their Jewish heritage and everything. Um, But yes, some of the Jews do. If they've been studying the Torah and the prophecies. Yes. Do people who have come back to experience this? Oh, yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to. Okay, but I'm talking about us. Yes. Remember, he comes back with the church, all of them. All Remember, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, at the rapture, those who have already gone to be with Jesus are going to come with him. They're going to get their new bodies. They're going to come up out of the ground. They'll get their new bodies. We who are alive are going to go be with him. We'll go be with him during that seven-year period. But then we're going to come back. And rule and reign with him. Yes, people that loved ones that are in Christ who are in the presence of the Lord now will come and rule and reign on the earth. Yep. We saw that in Revelation chapter five, verses six through eleven. So I love you. See you next week.